This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. The Buck Sexton Show. Now, spreading freedom across the nation, this is 321. The Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hut. Thank you very much for joining. Well, today is Thursday, December 22nd, our last live Freedom Hut show of the year. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be, uh, wow, can't believe it. Another, another year in the hut, everybody. I think we're going on three years now. It'll be three years, I think, since the, I think three years since the Saturday show started. Uh, this March, I think, February. So coming up on three years of, of radio. Uh, to all of you in Team Buck, whether this is your first day or your many hundredth day, uh, y- you honor me with your time, and I appreciate it, every single one of you. And uh, Merry Christmas to all of you. I want to say it now. I'll say it later in the show, I'm sure, too. But Merry Christmas, Happy New Year to, to each and every one listening. Uh Okay, I, I want to do something. We're going to have some fun and talk about some Christmassy stuff, too, obviously. All that. And some history. I, I, I'm trying to jam in a latte. Trying to make sure you remember in the new year why it is that you do join the Freedom Hut. Give you a bunch of different uh, different Freedom Hut flavors today. All kinds of stuff. But we do have some news to current events to work through together. Get into the details of. And then we'll talk Christmas and some history and some other stuff. Uh, but this is on the... Berlin manhunt underway. Uh, we've got more details about the individual that is believed to be responsible now. They seem pretty sure. I mean, they got the guy's blood and they found uh, an ID behind. Uh, although, in some cases, jihadists have left behind the wrong ID and tried to make sure that everybody knew that it was a migrant. Is the word we always seem to use in this case for refugees or immigrants. I still think it's interesting that I'm, I'm going to have to ask somebody why it is that in the, in the European context, we are always told that these are migrants because migrants are people traveling for work as far or, or for traveling for some purpose. Um, an immigrant is just somebody, uh, you know, and generally speaking, an immigrant is somebody that's trying to you know, come into your country. Right. I mean, I guess migrants are kind of the same, but then why don't we just say immigrant? But I digress. Okay, this is what we know about this individual at this point in time. Uh, his name is Anis Amri. Um, he is 24 years old. It is believed, according to authorities, these are all sources now speaking to various press outlets, but it is believed that he was, uh, he's a Tunisian that has been under surveillance by the German authorities for some time or had been under surveillance he also was on the radar of U.S. intelligence. I mean, it's a bad guy. 
bad guy that never should have been able to set foot in Germany. And a lot of people are dead. A lot more are very terribly wounded because of this bad guy. So I just think that we should uh, take a moment and understand that there is a, a failure of government here to have protected the people of Germany. No question. This wasn't someone who just snapped in the basement and decided to go out and hop in a vehicle, hijack a vehicle and run down a bunch of people. No, no. This was the classic jihadist terrorist story. A guy had connections in Tunisia to Ansar al-Islam, it is believed, had received weapons training. He was under surveillance for several months this year. Uh, They knew all, all about him. And he had tried to claim asylum in Germany. So you get this terrorist who's like, hey, Germany, please give me safe haven. And they say no, but because he doesn't have a passport, they won't deport him. So they put a, a, uh, a, hold, on his, uh, a hold on his deportation. <sighs> this all could have been avoided. This all could have been avoided. Um, He slipped through the cracks. He was already on the radar. They knew he was a bad guy. He was given a duldung, which is a temporary suspension of deportation. And his asylum request was denied. And they still didn't get him out of there. They still didn't get him out of there. And Tunisia at first denied that he was one of their citizens, because, of course, they don't want this guy back, because maybe he's just going to go and get his hands on an AK and mow down a bunch of people at a resort, you know, make sure that Tunisian, uh, make sure that, of course, innocent people die and also Tunisia's economy suffers. This is everything according to the script. I mean, you could have written this out beforehand. Young Muslim male from the Arab world, connections to extremists, under investigation by authorities. They don't move fast enough. The law gets in the way of just kicking his butt out of the country. Um, And I guess they were unwilling to just hold him until they deported him. Now a lot of people are dead. Now you got a mass casualty attack on German soil uh, in Berlin, in, in, uh, in a Christmas market. And yeah, it's pretty, pretty astonishing when you look at it. You know, and you really get into the details of this. Germany was unable to deport the suspected Berlin attacker in New York Post writes here. Well, I mean, of course, they should be able to deport anyone they want to deport. This should be a sovereign nation's decision that it can just make. Uh, this guy's still on the run. He was caught on, and during some of the surveillance, he was caught talking to, in the past, I mean, uh, to somebody, I believe uh, an informant, about trying to get weapons while he was in Germany. He was trying to figure out a way to get explosives. He had direct contact, it is believed, according to, I think, Tunisian authorities now, uh, with the Islamic State. I mean, he's a bad guy, obviously, but this is a straight-up, hardened jihadist terrorist, and the Germans just missed this one. And it was a matter of time. You go back to... uh, Last year, we go back to shows where we talked about the uh, the massacre at the Bataclan and those huge those huge attacks in Paris, those multi pronged suicide bomber attacks on the streets of Paris on a on a beautiful fall night in Paris. And we, I said that I mean the you know the Germans were probably next. 
And it took a while, but we knew it was going to happen. It was just a matter of time. And you see the limitations that the security services have, even when they, you know, it's one thing when someone self-radicalizes and snaps. Very tough to get them when they go from Islamization to jihadization, right? Unless they start going into, although I think this guy was one of those who went into chat rooms and was like, you know, I pledge allegiance to the Islamic State. I mean, he's one of those. But I'm sure if you were to dig into German laws on this, I mean, the Brits have learned. I I will say this about the Brits. They've learned the hard way that when someone is advocating violence and overthrowing the state in the name of Islam, you got to kick their butts out of your country. For a while, the Brits were very, oh, you know, they, they didn't want to they didn't want to be seen as rude to people from the third world or something. They don't want to be as non-inclusive. And the Brits were like, um, no, you've got to go. They finally realized they got to kick people out before this kind of thing can happen. So the Brits have gotten better on this. Um, the Germans, I think, are going to have a they're going to have a reckoning here because clearly their security service has failed, but also. Uh, their laws were insufficient that even when they had a known terrorist on their hands, they can either detain him nor deport him. How is that possible? Known jihadists, known terrorists, they can neither detain nor deport. It's, uh, as you look at it, it is quite a failure, um, quite a failure on the part of, of the security services and the government in this country. And, and Merkel, I think everybody believes, is going to pay a price at the polls her fourth effort to be Chancellor of Germany is going to be a tough one. That is going to be an uphill climb. It's terrible. I and mean, this is a couple of days before Christmas, and uh, you still have people that are trying to deal with the horrific loss of loved ones because this maniac, this uh, animal, decided that he was going to mow people down with a truck in a market. Uh, we face a very widespread evil in the world. Um, It goes by different names, and it's not always easy to define. I call it jihadism, but it is a very real virus. It has spread, and it threatens all of our societies. Um, And I am wondering when there will be the real moment of sort of waking up in Europe and in America, that uh, we are at war with jihad, and we're going to continue to be at war with jihad and jihadists for a long time. It's not a police matter. It's not going away anytime soon. And I think part of it has to be facing up to why is it that so many young Muslim men around the world are willing to do things that go well beyond the scope of just, engage. you know, violence is a, is a constant at different levels in societies all over the world. Although in America, for example, violence has been going down and down and down. Every year, more or less, violence becomes less prevalent in our society. Uh, but why is it that you have these young men who will do things that no sane, rational person would do, and yet they're not actually psychotics or you could say they're psychotics in the sense that they've become psychopaths but i mean they're they're not people that are have a deep mental illness and a disconnect from reality they believe that this is what they're supposed to do i mean these are the sorts of things that are not possible for a human being to engage in unless they think there's some 
divine override. Probably didn't even see the reporting recently about a suicide bomber that was deployed in Nigeria who I think was five or six years old. Suicide bomber. Who who could put a who could put a suicide vest on a five or six year old and then send that child to go in and kill as many men, women, and children as possible in a crowded marketplace? This is not war. This is not uh, the the fog of battle. Uh, this is sadism. I mean, it's truly evil, and there's a lot of it that comes from this one faith tradition. And I know that it's unfair to those who are peaceful and law-abiding and and love their families and are good people from within that faith tradition that this is happening, in a sense. But it also is just the reality. And as we go into our own holiday season and have some time off, I wonder how many of us are going to sit around and think about this and grapple with what does that really mean? A lot of people are going to pretend that they have answers to this. They're going to say that this is... A conflict that's winnable. Okay, it's winnable, but nobody really knows how or how long it will take. And you're going to have jihadists killing people at random all over the world for the foreseeable future. This is the world we live in now. This is one of the legacies of Islam. And unfortunately, from a perspective of security and nation states, it's among the most powerful legacies of Islam in the 20th and now in the 21st century. Suicide bombers, airport security lines, and now using trucks as weapons of mass murder at Christmas markets. We'll be back in a few. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Buck Sexton here. Let's talk about our sponsor this half hour and let's talk about blood flow for a moment. We all know that healthy circulation is critical, especially as we get older. There's a way to support healthy blood flow, and that's by getting enough dietary nitrates into your body to convert into nitric oxide. Superbeets is the most convenient way to get these dietary nitrates. One scoop in water or a smoothie and you are all set. This is the secret to helping support healthy circulation and healthy blood pressure levels. Superbeats works three times faster to give you results you can feel, plus it tastes great. It's all about blood flow, blood flow, blood flow. I take Superbeats every day. I can feel the energy and stamina it gives me within 20 minutes, and I want you to feel it too. So call 800-311-4367 or go to teambuckbeats.com. Get a 30-day supply free. It comes with your first order and is backed by a money-back guarantee. Also receive a free book, Beat the Odds, and free shipping on your entire order. You'll love the results you feel with your first free canister, guaranteed, or your money back. 800-311-4367 or teambuckbeats.com. 800-311-4367 or teambuckbeats.com. I got to tell you, the Trump trauma is leading people to act like just complete. This is one of these times where I kind of wish I could let some profanity fly, but some just total jerks uh you know if ivanka whom yeah you know you guys have told you before we were friends when we were kids a long time ago she was a very nice girl i she really was i i you know i haven't seen her in about six or seven years now but she when we were growing up 
We went to camp together. I mean, she's a really sweet, she was a sweetheart. She was always really nice. And I don't even, if she wasn't, if she was the meanest girl I knew, and I actually knew some really mean girls. Uh, I mean, they're like wicked pretty, but they're really mean. Um, if she was really mean, I would still feel this way. She was on a jet blue flight with her kids. She's just trying to fly back to New York City. And some moron starts verbally berating her on the plane. I have to tell you, I'm kind of waiting for the day when somebody and, and I, I worry about this a little bit. And I've sort of talked to my family about this, too, because I don't deal well with this kind of stuff. I'm also a guy six feet tall, you know, knows how to handle himself a little bit. So it's different than when someone goes after a woman with her children. But I mean, if someone came up to me in the street and yelled at me for something I'd said on TV or something. I mean, I think there's a decent chance that we're going to throw down. It's completely unacceptable. And that somebody would start verbally berating, verbally assaulting a mother in front of her children because of what? what did, first of all, what did Ivanka even do? She's the daughter of the president-elect. Like, oh, she's going to be the de facto first lady. Yeah, well, we'll see. She hasn't done anything, though. All she's done is be polite to the media and talk about being a working mother and helping with working mothers to get child care. I mean, you're going to yell at her for that? She's she's responsible for everything her dad is. It's just but this idiocy is on display all the time and people have no shame I mean, because it really they, they, they do feel like they've suffered a trauma and therefore they have an excuse for lashing out. They think that there's some justification for being so childish, just acting honestly, acting like a bunch of punks. You've got. A, oh, another one. And this one sort of hit home because yesterday I was on the train, uh, the subway, le metro, and whatever, the train. And sure enough, I hear that viral video I played for you from Delta Airlines of that guy, uh, Adam Sala. And there's a couple of gentlemen standing next to me. And they're one, I, I mean, I know, can I guess properly? I'm right about when I try to get someone's ethnicity. I'm I'm certainly in the right region, and I'm usually right about the country 75% of the time. Maybe 90, but I'm pretty good. East Africa, West Africa, I can usually get that right. Uh, anywhere in the uh, anywhere in the sort of South Asia, I'll usually at least get within a country away from where it is. I'm pretty good. I'm just saying. Uh, but I'd say one gentleman I, I would guess was uh, Ghanaian. And uh, another gentleman who was with him, I would think, is probably Moroccan, if you had to, if you put a gun to my head. And they're watching this video. And they're watching this video of a complete and obvious hoax on the subway right next to me. And I don't know how they had the Wi-Fi. Maybe they preloaded the, maybe the Wi-Fi sometimes works in the subway, sometimes it doesn't. And they're watching this video loudly, which I also find very annoying. And... I'm thinking, here we go, because they hadn't. One of them clearly hadn't seen it yet, and I'm thinking, here we go. Let's let's see if he can tell that this is, is this is nonsense. And this guy gets furious. He starts yelling about how I'm gonna yell. I'm gonna speak only in Arabic now in front of people. I'm gonna bust out my prayer rug. I'm gonna make sure next time I'm on a flight, you know, he basically saying he's gonna be as provocative as possible in solidarity with this hoax video because he couldn't tell it was a hoax. You want to talk about fake news? Here's some fake news for you. Delta 
tip my hat to them. They're like, we interviewed everybody. These clowns were causing a disturbance. It wasn't about racism. It wasn't about Islamophobia. You can't yell and freak everybody out on a plane. Sorry. Good for you, Delta. Merry Christmas. But it was very frustrating to sit there and watch a couple of my fellow Americans on the subway who couldn't figure out this was a hoax video and are then going to go act out in support of the hoax video. At least is what they were saying. More problems caused by this. Back in a few. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Dispensing the truth. This is Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. Indeed, some jingle bells there for you all. Merry Christmas to all of you. Uh, Wanted to talk to you about Christmas a bit, so we're bringing on a Christmas expert. No, that doesn't mean that he's just the best at opening presents. He actually knows the history of Christmas. William Federer joins us now. He is a best-selling author and a former U.S. congressional candidate. His book, There Really is a Santa Claus, A History of St. Nicholas and Christmas Holiday Traditions, is available now online. William, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you. Oh, Buck, great to be with you. So please tell us, this St. Nicholas, or Sinterklaas, tell me about him. Where did this guy come from? He, he was a real person. He wasn't just a jolly fellow in a red suit coming down through the chimney. Right. Well, St. Nicholas is actually the most popular Greek Orthodox saint. He is to the Greek Orthodox what St. Peter is to Roman Catholics. And the Greek Orthodox traditions are he was born around 280 A.D., and that's still during the first three centuries of Roman persecutions of the Christians, and he is in Asia Minor. Today, that's Turkey. And his parents died, leaving him with a lot of money as a young man. And a movement that swept through the church at the time was, if you really became a Christian, you were expected to give away all your money and join the monastery. And so he uh, gives away his money to the poor, but he wants to do it anonymously because he wants the credit to go to God. And so he would sneak into town and leave money for poor people. And one story that was popular was a merchant in the town of Patara had gone bankrupt. And back then, the creditors would not only come and take your house and lands, they would take your children. And so this merchant had three beautiful daughters. He knew if they were taken, it would probably mean a life of sex trafficking or forced marriages. We hear stories about that today. Um, And so he had an idea. He thought if he could hurry up and marry his daughters off, the creditors couldn't take him. Unfortunately, he did not have money for a dowry, which was needed in that area of the world for a legally recognized wedding. Nicholas hears the problem late one night, throws a bag of money in the window. It provides the dowry. The oldest daughter can get married, throws it in another night for the second daughter. It's a big buzz talk of the town. When he throws it in for the third daughter, the dad's expecting it. He's waiting up. He runs outside, catches Nicholas. And Nicholas makes the father promise not to tell where the money came from because, again, he wanted the credit to go to God. So this was the origin of the tradition of secret gift giving on the anniversary of Nicholas's death, which was December 6, 343 A.D., and the stockings by the fireplace, the midnight visits, so forth. Now, the three bags of money he threw in the window were remembered by pawnbrokers, and they hang three gold balls outside of their shop, their pawnbroker shops, uh, to represent those three bags of money. And they say, well, we're rescuing families in their time of financial need, sort of like St. Nicholas. So he is considered the patron saint of pawnbrokers. A little bit of a stretch, but that's what they consider. Okay. Um, 
anyway, he is uh, going on a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. He's going to join a monastery. Somehow the Lord impresses on him not to hide his light under a bushel. He makes his way back to Asia Minor. Today that's Turkey. Gets off at a busy port city called Myra. Today that's called Demre. And unbeknownst to him, the bishop had died. The church leaders could not decide who the next bishop was going to be, and they basically asked him to be it. But the attitude was that the Roman emperor was arresting bishops and killing them. So it was sort of like, you be the bishop. No, 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 I insist, you be the bishop. Uh, And uh, so he was not too thrilled with it, but he agrees, and he is arrested, and he's put in prison awaiting death, and then the emperor dies, Diocletian. The next emperor, Galerius, dies. And uh, the toss-up is four generals, and Constantine wins. And he ends the persecution of Christians, and so Nicholas is let out of jail. And now that it's legal to be a Christian, he preaches against the Diana worship. Nearby to Myra was Ephesus, and they had the temple to Diana, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was twice as big as the Parthenon in Athens, 127 huge pillars and temple prostitutes. It was the Las Vegas of the Mediterranean. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 19 preaches against the Diana worship there in Ephesus. Well, Nicholas preaches against it so much, the people tear the temple to Diana down. And then there's the Arian heresy. So the first three centuries of Christians, they don't live long enough to argue over doctrine. Uh, Once Constantine legalizes Christianity, Arius starts the first heresy, says Jesus is a created being, is a little less than God, writes a catchy song. The Visigoths were some people group that came into the Roman Empire. They converted en masse to Arianism. So it's splitting the Christian church and splitting the Roman Empire. So Constantine orders all the bishops to settle it. They do at the Council of Nicaea. And the story is that Nicholas was so upset at Arius for starting this first of all heresies that Nicholas slapped Arius across the face on the floor of the conference. So jolly old St. Nick had a little temper. Anyway, he dies in 343 A.D., and uh, the Greeks would leave, leave presents for each other. Uh, Vladimir the Great, the emperor of Russia, converts to Greek Orthodox Christianity, adopts Nicholas as the patron saint of Russia, and then the Muslims invade in the year 1087, and they're trashing the churches across Asia Minor. Uh, Matter of fact, all seven churches mentioned in the book of Revelation were all wiped out by the Muslims. These New Testament letters to Ephesus and Galatia and Colossae and Corinth, all those cities were wiped out by the invading Muslims. And so the Christians moved the grave of their famous St. Nicholas over to Italy, a little town called Bari, B-A-R-I. And the pope that dedicates the church is Urban II, People may not be up on their pope names, but that's the same Pope Urban II. Yeah, he goes to the Council of Claremont and begs the European leaders to send help to these Greeks that are being conquered by the Muslims. They send help. It's called the First Crusade. So the St. Nicholas story is coming to Western Europe is at the same time period as the First Crusade. Um, Then, uh, now that Nicholas's traditions are in Italy, uh, the gift-giving is so popular that it sort of becomes a distraction. So in 1223 A.D., St. Francis of Assisi invents the first nativity scene, saying we need to get back to the reason for the season. Jesus was born in the manger. Then the Reformation starts, and uh, Martin Luther in 1517 ends the saints' days in Germany, and the Germans like the gift-giving. So he moves all the gift-giving to December 25th instead of the December 6th, the visit of St. Nicholas. And uh, he says all gifts come from the Christ child. And the German pronunciation of Christ child is Kristkindle, and today we pronounce that Kris Kringle. 
right? So Kindle, like kindergarten, kindercare, kind means child, and Chris means Christ. So Chris Kindle meant Christ child, or as we say, Chris Kringle. But we begin to see the story moves a little bit. So you know, uh, Catholics say St. Peter's at the gates of heaven. Well, the Greeks do a take on the prophecy in Revelation where Jesus will return at the end of the world to judge the living and the dead riding a white horse. And the saints will come back with him riding white horses. And St. Nicholas is a saint after all, so he would be one of those riding a white horse. They just have him coming back once a year for a little mini-judgment a little checkup on the kids, make sure they're on the right track, see who's naughty, see who's nice. And then in Norway, they didn't have white horses, so they had him riding a reindeer. And the saints come from heaven, the celestial city, the new Jerusalem, that turns into the North Pole. The angels turn into the elves, the Lamb's Book of Life and Book of Works turned into the Book of the Naughty and the Nice. And so you sort of see it gets a little bit off track there. Anyway, um, in England, uh, Henry VIII brings the Reformation, but he makes it more of a Mardi Gras, sort of a partying time, and the Puritans then take over England and outlaw Christmas. But the Dutch, to this day, still have St. Nicholas coming once a year, dressed as a bishop, and he's riding a white horse, and he's giving out presents, and he has with him a little Muslim helper named Zwarte Piet. And they tell the kids, if you're naughty, Zwarte Piet will put you in a gunny sack and take you back and sell you into Muslim slavery. Muslims enslaved over a million Europeans throughout the Middle Ages, and they were whole Catholic orders. Anyway, the Dutch settled New Amsterdam, and that's... So, so wait, instead of getting a piece of coal in your stocking, it was the Muslim slave traders that are going to come get you? The Dutch? Interesting stuff. Right, and so I've actually talked to people from Holland, and they said, yeah, every Christmas Eve, all the little boys would go to sleep at night uh, with a pocket knife in their pocket. And I said, why is that? He goes, that's to cut ourselves out of the gunny sack in case of our day Pete took us. So Makes often sense when to me. Them Santa Claus coming, they start crying. <laughs> and uh, I'd love to have tormented my little brothers with that one. William, but, can um, we, uh, we, I wanted to hit a break. Can we keep you through the break? Because I have more questions about Christmas to ask you. Is that all right? Do you have sure, a couple minutes? Sure. Um, yes. And tell everybody where they can get your book. This is fascinating stuff. Uh, it's called There Really is a Santa Claus, The History of St. Nicholas and Christmas Holiday Traditions. And Amazon.com has it, uh, but my wealth website also is AmericanMinute.com. All right, William, we're going to be right back with William Federer. He is an author and a former U.S. congressional candidate. There Really is a Santa Claus. It's on Amazon right now. We'll be right back. The Buck Sexton Show. Discover more at TheBlaze.com slash radio. The Blaze Radio Network. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Merry Christmas, team. We're back with uh, Bill Federer. He is the best-selling author of There Really is a Santa Claus, History of St. Nicholas and Christmas Holiday Traditions, available on Amazon.com. All right, so let's talk about some of these traditions, uh, Bill, because we didn't have time before the break to get into some of this. I was wondering if you could tell me, for example, about, oh, where does the 12 days of Christmas come? Where does the 12 days of Christmas come from, and where does the Christmas tree come from? Well, um, 567 A.D., they couldn't decide what day's holier. December 25th in Western Europe, Christmas, or January 6th in Eastern Europe called Epiphany, the visit of the three wise men. And so at the Council of Tours there in 567 A.D., they decided to make all 12 days from December 25th to January 6th the 12 days of Christmas. And they call them holy days. 
And over the centuries, the word Holy Day got pronounced holiday. And so when people say, well, let's not call it Christmas, let's call it a holiday. Uh, well, what's the, ho- what's, the, what's the Holy Days? It's Christmas? Okay, you can't get away from it. I mean, even our calendar goes back to what? Uh, 2016 what? Uh, years since the birth of Christ? Even our very calendar goes back to the birth of Christ? Um, and um, Anyway, I-, I wanted to throw in real quick how it transitioned from St. Nicholas to Santa Claus. Um, uh, in if I have a moment. Yeah, um, In New York, the Dutch settled it, and the Dutch brought over their St. Nicholas traditions of the visit once a year. And Washington Irving, now we know him because he gave us the Legend of Sleepy Hollow and Rip Van Winkle. Well, he wrote Dietrich Knickerbocker's History of New York, and he starts with the beginning of the Dutch settlement, and he talks about the Dutch tradition of St. Nicholas visiting once a year. But he describes him no longer wearing a bishop's outfit of the mitered hat and staff like he does in Holland, he describes him wearing a Dutch outfit of long trunk hose, leather belt boots, and a stocking hat. And so that was in 1809 is when he switched his outfit. And then in New York was Clement Moore, and his family owned a big farm. Today, that's the neighborhood of Chelsea. There's a Clement Moore Park there at 10th Avenue and 22nd Street. Well, Clement Moore is a Hebrew professor at the General Theological Seminary of Protestant Episcopal Church in New York. And he writes a poem for his kids in 1823 titled, A Visit from St. Nicholas. It was a night before Christmas all through the house. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care and hopes that St. Nicholas would soon be there. A lively old driver, so lively and quick. I knew in a moment it must be St. Nick. Up to the housetops, of course, as they flew with a sleigh full of toys and St. Nicholas too. I drew in my head and was turning around down the chimney. St. Nicholas came with a bounce. So he's still St. Nicholas, but he shrunk a little. Now he's a right jolly, plump old elf. I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. So, But he's still the saint. Uh, and then we see the Civil War starts. And there's an illustrator for Harper's Weekly magazine named Thomas Nast, N-A-S-T. He's the one that invented the Republican elephant and Democrat mule for his political illustrations. Well, he's the first one to put a North Pole sign behind an illustration of St. Nicholas talking to the Union troops. And it was actually a political jab at the South to say St. Nicholas belongs to the North, right? And uh, prior to then, St. Nicholas comes from the Celestial City, heaven, that's where saints come from. 1930, Coca-Cola hires an artist named Haddon Sunblum, was famous for his Quaker Oats Man on that box of oatmeal, and he does a painting of St. Nicholas drinking Coca-Cola. He does one a year for 30 years, and now he's full-grown size again, rosy cheeks, ruddy complexion, a nice huggable grandfather, and that's uh, what we have today. But if you peel back all the layers, it really does go back to a St. Nicholas who uh, did love Jesus, uh, lived during the 4th century Asia Minor, was imprisoned for his faith by the Romans, stood for the doctrine of the Trinity, slapping Arius across the face for the Aaron Harris, who preached against paganism and sexual immorality there at the Temple to Diana. But he was very generous, and he gave to the poor in their time of need, and he did not want to take the credit for it. And so that's the origin of the person. So instead of it being, you know, Jesus is good, Santa is Satan, you know how they try to... No, no, Saint, uh, Santa Claus was the Dutch pronunciation of St. Nicholas, and he was the godly man. Anyway, but I um, uh, wanted to throw that in. Um, but as far as the, the 12 days of Christmas, um, there was... What about the Christmas a, uh, tree? The Christmas tree. We only got about a minute. I wanted to get the Christmas tree in there. Christmas tree. So uh, the uh, German story is that St. Boniface 
was a missionary uh, in the 5th century to the Germanic tribes, and they worship Thor. That's where we get Thor's Day, and Wednesday comes from Woden's Day. Those were, you know, uh, Germanic gods. Well, anyway, they're going to sacrifice Prince Althoff to this Thor, and St. Boniface comes, chops down the oak tree, and uh, then he points to an evergreen tree and says, this is the tree of peace, and see how it points toward heaven, and it's evergreen, and let it shelter no deeds of blood. And and so there's actually a statue in the town there of uh, St. Boniface and this stump of a tree that he chopped down. And so the Germans liked the tree, but it was Martin Luther that uh, on Christmas Eve put some candles in the branches of the evergreen tree and says, this is like the sky above Bethlehem on the night of Christ's birth. Of course, the, the lights at that time of year go all the way back to Hanukkah. So it's sort of like those two were sort of melded together into the Christmas tree. Wow. But, uh, William, I, I tell you, I'm going to get your book. This is awesome. This is all this stuff is in your book, right? I'm going to go check this out on Amazon. Uh, William Federer is the author of There Really Is a Santa Claus, The History of St. Nicholas and Christmas Holiday Traditions. Uh, well, and also you can go to AmericanMinute.com, uh, which is his website. Bill, you are a fantastic radio guest, sir. Thank you for giving us your time and have a Merry Christmas. Well, thank you, Buck, and Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good night. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, you take care, Bill. That was awesome. I, I was just getting started with all that Christmas history. we got more history coming up, but not Christmas history. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Individuals and businesses with tax problems, listen carefully. If you owe over $10,000 in back taxes or have unfiled tax returns, we can help you take back control. The IRS is the largest and most aggressive collection agency in the world, and they can seize your bank account, garnish your paycheck, close your business, and file criminal charges. Take control of your tax problems now by calling the experts at Tax Mediation Services at 800-600-1645. That's 800-600-1645. 800-600-1645. 